Good morning, everyone. Good to see you at the church this morning. Uh, we are beginning a new uh, teaching series entitled Leader Boat. So I wanted to make the image a little bit intriguing. So Josiah kind of likes my uh, twist on the picture on the screen. Uh, so I thought I would get a picture of a ship and then put leader on it. That way we would be talking about leader. Come on, somebody. Leadership. So we're we're discussing leadership. And uh, it's that's a pretty good looking leadership there on the screen. Uh, but also on the leadership uh, image, I also placed the little uh, fish on the top sail. And that little fish represents in the Greek or in uh, the New Testament, uh, when the early church was first founded and Jesus ascended and he left disciples in charge. Uh, this is an image that traces all the way back to the first century that uh, Christians would use this as a representation or a symbol saying and telling others that they were Christians. So it was two parts. So the top slash would go one way and the bottom slash would go the other way. And there's some things that I read about uh, to say that in history that one, it was way during the times of the first early church that uh, it was trying times that uh, Rome had issued decrees and they were persecuting and killing Christians. And they come up with this symbol to let each other know whether they were Christian or not. And one person would make an image that way in the dirt and the other would make the other swoop underneath in the dirt and it would uh, let each other know that they were Christian. So we see them today on the back of our vehicles and cars and you'll see uh, these symbols out there today. And the word is igthus. So the Greek word is igthus is uh, the word that's compiled together and it means Jesus Christ is God. So when you see that image, I want you to understand that it means that Jesus Christ is God. So Christianity, it's a symbol of Christianity. And as I place that on the ship, so I wanted what kind of leadership? I want Christianity leadership so that we understand that our Christian values and our Christian morals and our Christian directives that comes from God and his word would let us have leadership from a Christian perspective. And Christians should be leading and ought to be leading and uh, should be empowered by God with destiny to do the things that he called us to do. A simple definition about leadership is simply, it is the art of motivating a group of people to act toward or achieve a common goal. So leadership is defined is that motivating a group of people toward achieving a common goal. And we should have a common goal that we are after, that we are chasing after and following after to uh, receive the goal of Christ and the goal of make, making heaven our home. Um, in this series, we, we hope that it will help uh, all of us through these messages to become better leaders whether it's leading your home, on your job, in your community, or leading a Fortune 500 company. So as we look at these Christian principles, hopefully we can find application for every person 
in attendance and those hearing uh, on the message on the internet or through our SoundCloud app that you can listen to these uh, messages as podcasts. Um, multiple people listen and listen even to the recording. So we're speaking to people even that's not in the room here today. Um, as I was thinking about this and this message series and how the, each November I go through a process and, and uh, pray and, and seek God and ask God for direction for our church for the next year and upcoming year. So in November of 2019, I spent the entire month of November trying to go through and and pull together and list out the messages for the year 2020. And I learned that from a pastor that I was serving under. I was associate pastor and he was the senior pastor at Orangeburg Church down in Orangeburg, Kentucky towards Maysville. And that pastor did that and it was a, a strategy that he had to uh, stay on topic and stay on cue and, and allow God to put together so that he wasn't searching each week and in a hurry up type process to figure out what to speak about. But there was a plan, there was a strategy, there was a system he had in place to do that. And uh, I learned that from him and I thought whenever I first met him, I was like, man, he's one of the most organized, structured people I've ever met. And it just astounded me that how that he was capable of doing that. But I carried on that process and, and learned from him and put those into practice when I become pastor and uh, looking through those things. So these messages were planned back in November of last year and I have no idea when I'm planning those of who's gonna be sitting in the crowd or who's gonna be attending our church at that point in time for the next year. We just leave that up to God. But these principles that God wants us to learn is for the people that's sitting here or listening today. So if you're hearing this, it's for you. And these principles, I wanted to look through uh, somebody in, in the Bible and who do I, would I look at as being a great leader in the Bible? Who is a great leader? So as I was thinking through the Bible as a whole and thinking about who would make a great leader to look in their life for some principles to understand for us today and apply for us in our lives today, I just thought about Moses. So in the Old Testament, uh, the story of Moses, uh, we see that it begins in the book of Exodus. It's the second book in your Bible. And Moses was a great leader because if you study through uh, the Old Testament and get into Exodus, so you leave Genesis and come into Exodus, you'll see that the children of Israel are in slavery. And there's this guy, Moses comes on the scene and Moses is directed and he has a destiny from God to lead the children of Israel from slavery to freedom. So as I think about that and think about this person, Moses, that he leads these people from slavery to freedom, it's not just a few people. And a lot of people in history go back to say that there were upwards of 6 million people in Israel that were living in Egypt. They were Israelites, but they were living in Egypt under the bondage of slavery of Pharaoh and Moses leads six million people along this journey to freedom. How many believes it takes leadership for a group of six million people? If you're going to lead that many, you better have some leadership principles. You better have some leadership qualities because it's hard enough to keep 
uh, two congregations here uh, at the bridge in two different locations. We're one church with two locations, but it's hard to keep us on the same pattern and same path. And it's hard for me to stay on topic with the same message for both campuses each week. And I got points that I go by that I try to make sure that uh, I touch the high points and make sure everything's the same. But sometimes the story will go this way or that way and one campus may be different from the other. So it's hard to stay on task. It's start hard to uh, lead just a few people. And as I think about that, and I look towards that, that I really look to Moses as this great leader in the Bible. Even Jesus quotes Moses. So Jesus knew the influence of Moses and how that he led Israel to that freedom. In our culture today, in our uh, nation that we are living in, we're gracious. God is gracious enough to let us live and be born in this nation that we're in. And there's heroes in our time, in our uh, history of our nation, like Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. and all these individuals that led people from slavery to freedom. These were great leaders. And there's principles we can learn from their lives as well. But we're looking for these next few weeks about Moses. Let him be our, let him be our hero for these next few weeks. The word and name Moses means to draw out or to be pulled out from. And we, as we read Exodus, we'll see that there's this nation of Egypt that these children of Israel had been taken down to and they willingly went to this other nation because there was a famine and they was looking for a better life and the Israelites went to Egypt and uh, we know about the story of Joseph and how the Joseph led and was in charge of Egypt. But the, it begins in Exodus, it says that there come a Pharaoh that knew not of the ways or the things of Joseph. So it was a new day and they originally went into Egypt to, be, to have food and to have a way of life. But the longer they stayed there as a people group, they become a segment of society that was feared. And Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh comes along after Joseph passes away and the new Pharaoh don't really know about Joseph or know really the things that he contributed to Egypt and how the children of Israel were a blessing to that nation and they begin to look on them with disdain and he, he thought about, man, I don't like these people. There's too many of them. So Pharaoh really didn't want the Israelites living in his nation, but they were there and he decided, oh, I'm just going to use them and we'll make them slaves. We'll make them make bricks. We'll make them build things. We'll use them as slaves and we'll take from them and we'll pull from them and we won't let them have too good of a life. So Exodus begins that way. That there's slavery for the children of God. Israel was the nation from Abraham that God had promised. But here they are entangled in this slavery and bondage. And as I think about that, that sometimes times as children of God, that in our lives, the things that we're living and, and the ways that we live in this life, that we are actually slaves. Maybe not in terms of slavery as someone owning us and forcing us to do labor, but we're slaves to our thoughts. We're slaves to our way of doing things. That it's hard for adults to change behaviors. It's hard to get a new habit. 
They tell you 21 days. If you continue something 21 days, that you'll form a new habit. That it become a, it can become a way of life. But how many's ever started something and gave up before the 21 day marker and quit and didn't go back to it? We do it every year. We make resolutions, right? We're gonna. And some people can continue on, like uh, Elizabeth went on a workout journey and. And she's continued on that path. She didn't give up. She continued with it. Matt, he's doing the same thing. When you make it a habit, it becomes something and it changes your life. Amen. How many would like to learn some leadership principles of how to change your life so we as adults can have a new lease on life and start over afresh and new and let God deal with our lives and teach us principles throughout these next few weeks? It's going to be more than 21 days. If you'll take these things to heart, I really believe that God can rearrange and set you on a path of destiny. Yeah. A few years ago, I went to a youth group and, and the youth pastor preached a message and he entitled it, You're Destined to Greatness. But you're destined to greatness. And it really reverberated with me that that he was preaching a message to a bunch of teenagers and telling them that God has destined you, that he was went before you, he's preparing a way for you to be in destiny that you are to be great. I was sitting there as an adult, but that was a teenager message. I can listen to it and I can take principles from it and I can understand them and think, wow, God is going before me too. So just because we're not teenagers doesn't mean that it's too late for us. God's destiny is for every person in this room for you to receive the point of greatness yourself. And greatness isn't something you have to look around and figure out, am I going to be Abraham Lincoln or am I going to be Martin Luther King Jr. or am I going to be Moses? No, we might not be registering ourselves in greatness because we haven't accomplished what they've accomplished, but guess what? If you do what God has called you to do, it is great. The impact that you can have on lives is, is if you understood the, the, the thing of history. And if we could see where things land and lead us towards, we would be astounded at some of the little things we do and what it causes for future generations. Just this past week, I was having a discussion at work and, and we was talking about America and, and how, how great of a nation we really are. How many believes that? This is the greatest nation that's ever been on the planet. The, I love America. I love our, our nation. Uh, but we, we're not the only nation. In our ways, is it perfect? Is there things wrong with America? Absolutely. Amen? But we're still a great nation. And as I was talking about that, and I was talking about George, George Washington, and think about from his perspective that he fought this revolutionary war. He went against the biggest machine uh, the Eng English Empire that day, and as England come and, and set up these different regions, and, and they were all over the world having this empire set up to where that they were capitalizing on other nations. And they wrote the Declaration of Independence saying, we don't want to be under your leadership. And he fought that war, and as he fought the Revolutionary War, and how that he was able to beat these English guards and this English army against all odds, and how that there's stories about how that as he traveled across the river that time, and how the fog landed at the perfect time, and he was able to get his army out, and all those things. It was just a miracle. 
And to think about, we're sitting here today looking back and saying, wow, he founded the greatest nation. And him and Benjamin Franklin and, and Thomas Jefferson and all these individuals, they put together the, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and, and, and they, they helped to guide these, uh, uh, the new articles you know, that we have to declare our Constitution and how we're going to be guided as a government. The Bill of Rights. How awesome to say that the First Amendment should be that there should be freedom of a religion. Freedom to speak. Freedom of the press. I'm grateful for those things. Amen. 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 And those founding fathers set up those guidelines and those strategies to say this is how you formulate a government that will work for the people, by the people, for the benefit of the people. But I began to think about that and it, it kind of just, it hit me and I said, but you know what? They really never got to see it come to fruition. They didn't know if it would last 10 years or 100 years or now 243 years. They didn't know those things. We're seeing it in reverse and thinking about it from our perspective, but think about it from their perspective. George Washington died just a few years after he uh, was done being president for his two terms. He didn't get to see how it turned out. And sometimes we do things sure. not for us, but for the future. What things are you, principles are you living by today that's creating a future for future generations. Do you feel destined to greatness? Do you feel like you're making a difference in the world that you're living in? So as I thought about that and thinking about Moses and how this all went, that I had to pick a topic. What topic am I going to pick for my first week that we're destined for greatness? And I began to think about what kind of principle can I pull from the life of Moses? And the term that I come up with was strategy. Everybody say strategy. 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 They say, you know, whenever you've got a bow and arrow and you, you've got this bow and if you don't go out there and set up a goal or a, a, uh, a target or a fake deer or something to shoot at that you're just out there and you've got this bow and arrow and, and you just go out there and you can shoot it in any which direction and you're going to hit whatever you're aiming at because you ain't aiming at anything. But if you have a goal or a target... Or that fake deer sitting out there and you're shooting it in. When you miss it, you know it, right? So if we don't have any goals or targets or strategy in our life, we're just aimlessly shooting, like shooting a bow in multiple different directions, and really we're never shooting at anything, and you're always going to hit what you're aiming for because you're not aiming at anything. So I believe that we should have some principles in our life. And strategy being one of them, I want us to think about that how much change has happened in your life over the past year? How much change have you implemented in the past month? Amen. How much change have you really looked at and said, I need to change my ways a little bit in the past week? Amen. Did you wake up this morning and say, God, please change me? It should be our prayer. But I'll tell you this, that I understand this and I know this in reading history that it's hard to change adults. Yeah. Amen? Amen? 
Dustin Alvey's got a lot easier job than I do. I can stand up here and preach to you. Now I can tell you to go home and memorize a verse. About 5% of you probably won't go home and look up the verse and actually do it before next week. Dustin Alvey can go down there and tell the kids in children's church to learn a verse and give them the verse on a little piece of paper and they'll go home and have their parents to try to teach it to them and try to memorize it to come back to get the prize that they're after. It's easier to shape kids than it is adults. Amen. But I'm not going to give up because I think you're worth my time and effort. If I really thought that, then we wouldn't have adult church. We would just have children's church. Or we would just have youth group. I believe in you. I believe that God can change you. I believe God that can destine you and give you a, a new lease on life. And really it's about this. It's about doing and thinking with that change, how many tired of doing the same thing yes. over and over again? Tired of seeming like weak is just like last week. Next week is like last week. Next month is like last month. Next year is like last year. That you're in a rut in life and you're saying, I want a new lease on life. You can't do the same thing and expect a different outcome. You cannot do that. You cannot continue to do the same things and expect a different outcome. Because you know what that means, right? You know what that is? What's that a, a meaning? What's the meaning? To do the same thing and expect a different outcome. Insanity. So I think everybody in this room is guilty of that. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, man, you look insane to me. You, you kind of look insane to me. You got that, you got that look on your face. Like, like insanity. So I want to preach the insanity out of you. I want you to be sane. I want you to have a strategy. I want you to think about that God can give me a gift of a new lease on life today. And today is that day. So to begin the life of Moses, I believe that we have to go back and in Exodus chapter 2 where it talks about that Moses' life begins, that he is born and, and how that he was Conceived in his mother's womb, and how that Moses was there, but in the in the, in the things and the ways of the time that he was living in, and, and he was born into, Pharaoh had made an issue and a decree that he was mad because there was too many Israelites being born. He didn't like it. He thought he was going to be outnumbered. The Egyptians were going to be outnumbered by the Israelites, and he said, "So I need to fix this." And he made a decree. He declared a law. And when he declared this law, he said, if there's a man-child born or a boy, you take the son, midwives, I want you, as the Israelites are having a baby, if, if the baby comes out and it's a boy, I want you to take that boy and I want you to throw it in the river. How sad that as a society that the king declared the best way to deal with the blessing of God upon the children of Israel was to kill them at birth. How scary. But sometimes when they made these laws, you can't just look at it from our perspective of poor, poor, pitiful me. You've got to look at it from, from the perspective of can I find something else in this? Can I look for a way out of this? And can I find a way through this? So as Moses' mother was there and when she had this son and he was born a boy, she was thinking, oh no, 
The king has declared, Pharaoh has declared, I've got to throw him in the river. But guess what? Whenever God gives you insight and whenever you pray for strategy from God, he will give you clear direction. So Moses' mother, they said, they said put him in the river. They didn't say how. So she makes this little bulrush, it says, and she makes this little basket and she weaves this basket together and she covers it with tar pitch and as she does this, and, and I, I can think about that and Think about that, that it's going to be the, the salvation of your baby is going to be on how well do I weave this basket? Amen. How much effort do I put into this basket? Amen. That my child's life or death depends on how much am I being intentional about this thing? Yes. And what if we would learn from that strategy that if she strategized like that about saving her child, what if we as a church strategized about that in saving our kids? There you go. Amen? Amen? Sure. What if as a church, as a group of people, that we looked at kids in our community, that we looked at kids in our school system, that we looked at kids in our church and say, how well should I weave a basket for this generation coming? How much effort should I place into it? How much strategy should I really have? I'm sure she didn't just nonchalantly go out and pick up a bunch of junk brush and just pick up these different pieces and just old junk stuff. I bet she was very intentional about picking up the best straw she could find. I bet you as she was mixing the tar and the pitch to put on the outside of this basket that she was very intentional about it, that she boiled it just to the right temperature, that she really looked at it like we would be intentional about making a big plate of fudge today. What if we were that intentional in believing that the generation of kids that are in our surrounding here, even in our church, in our community, in our school, or in our nation, or around the world. We're destined to greatness. And their ability to live or die was placed in our hands. And how well we was weaving this basket. It's a very serious task. It's a very serious thing that God has placed in our ability to shape a world for the next generation. What are we going to do with that? So Moses would have never existed unless his mom had a strategy and had this principle thinking, man, my child is destined for greatness. Weaving this basket and it says she took it out and she placed it in the reeds. And I often wonder about as I read through that in the Bible in Exodus that as she placed that in the reeds, I wonder really, did she know that Pharaoh's daughter goes down there to take her bath at this very spot? I wonder how much her strategy involved thinking maybe I'll find pity upon Pharaoh's daughter to hear my son crying and her to take him in her care. I wonder how much strategy was really behind that. I know it's speculation. I know the Bible doesn't say that, but it makes me wonder, don't you? If she cared that much to make a basket and didn't just throw the kid in the water because that's what she was told to do. I think she thought through every individual part of it. And the beautiful part was she had an older daughter that was there and that older daughter stood back and she watched as this baby, her little baby brother was placed in this bushel basket and placed down there in those reeds. It says the sister stood afar off and watched 
to see what will become. How much are you teaching your older kids to watch your younger kids? How much are you teaching your kids of how to take care of your grandkids? This is very, very, very serious business that we're in here on this world. And God has placed in our care the ability to have leadership or not. The ability to be principled people that says, I want to understand things from God's perspective and I want to follow his path and I want to do what he's called us to do. And as I think about that weaving that basket, I just recently, my dad, he goes to bed about 8.30 with the chickens or 8 o'clock if it's a certain time of the year. And he gets up at 2.30 or 3 too when they start crowing and the moon comes out too bright. That's his sleep patterns. But recently my sister took him to a place up in Huntington. It's called the Heritage Farms. And as my dad went up there, he went once and they couldn't get him out. And finally, I think it just closed down. They finally run him off. And my sister back at Christmas time, she's like, why don't we all get together as a family? Why don't we take dad up there for a Christmas treat? His Christmas present was, let's take him back to Heritage Farms. It's four kids, but that's my dad. He, he loves the history so much. And there's so many things there. If you've never been, you ought to go. Heritage Farms, it's, they've got a log cabin church that's awesome. They were sitting in there playing uh, Christmas carols during this time. It was just a beautiful thing to sit in this little bitty wood cabin, log cabin church and hearing Christmas hymns played. And we stood around and walked through these different buildings. It's got all these different generations of things and, and, and coal mines and toys and cars. And there's nothing that you can think of that's not there and tell you the history of it. It's pretty amazing, really. Uh, different dress attire and all this stuff. They got it all laid out. And this one couple really put all this together. And it's amazing that one couple could have a vision like that and put that thing in place that they did. But my dad loves it. And as we was there, and next thing you know, it, it was about 10 o'clock or a little bit after. And, and I was getting tired. I don't get tired, but I was getting tired at 10 o'clock. And I was like, I, I've had enough. And Leslie's there too. And she's kind of funny daddy. So she was tired too. And she was worried about going over and getting candy. So, yeah. So it's my story. I'm sticking to it. You said you done what you wanted last week. I'll do what I want this week. So here we go over, you know, on our way back out, they have these buses picking us up, taking us back to the a big church parking lot because people couldn't park because there's so many people there. And I finally told them, Mom, Dad, I'm leaving. You guys go ahead and hang on out, but I, I'm, I'm getting on the bus and I'm traveling out of here. I feel like traveling on. Yeah, I feel like traveling. So I took off and we left. And as we left, I was going... Uh, they were through there and we ended up in the last building going out and they, they did have candy so Leslie was happy she got her some honey candy and there's this guy in there selling honey and you know for sinuses and stuff they tell you to eat local honey and it's supposed to be healthy and all that stuff so I was going to buy me some honey I was like yeah I need some honey and he had little jars of this different types of honey there's alpha alpha honey and just all different kinds of honey so I bought one of the little jars two or three little jars and I was going to try them and see what that was made of and then we're was there and then mom sees a guy there and he's got this tin and he's cutting tins out and he's making these uh, little cup things that you dip flour in and sugar and all this stuff to you know to cook with or what are, what are they called measuring cups thank you he, he's keeping me on cue here so measuring cups so mom buys her some measuring cups from this little dude cutting out and making these old style looks historical it's little metal measuring cups they made right there and, and mom bought one of them and then we went around the corner and we get around the corner and there's this lady there and she's weaving. 
and was watching her. She made these beautiful looking, dully looking things and baskets and just all types of stuff. And she was weaving it right there. And, and, and as you would buy something, she was weaving together something else. And she was very careful and very cautious about weaving. And as we stood there and began to watch her, we began to see that she was looking up and she was taking and weaving stuff. And as we lost, lost long enough, come to find out she was born blind and was able to make these beautiful, beautiful pieces without being able to see. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And what if we could just close our eyes from time to time and think about what does God want me to do? And how does He want me to weave? And can I weave things even when I can't see them? Amen. Amen. And this lady made these beautiful things. And I begin to think about how the, that lady that was weaving, she's probably 50 years old or somewhere thereabout. And I begin to think about that surely her mom put together a strategy of how am I going to teach my child something that she can make an occupation or a living from? And how much effort did she put into teaching her blind child how to weave when most others say, why are you even wasting your time? That's impossible. So don't listen to the naysayers whenever you're weaving for your children. Don't pay attention to them because they'll never do anything. They're not destined for greatness. You and your children are. They're worth your effort. They're worth your time. What's your strategy? What kind of baskets are you weaving? What kind of effort are you placing on society? When your kids or your grandkids. And it may seem impossible. It may seem like that there's just no way out. But think like Moses' mother thought. And pray to God that he will give you insight of how to see your children saved and how to raise them in the kingdom of God. The song we sung a minute ago, the last one, the title of the song is There is None Like You, talking about God. In the song it says, in the verse, it says, Your mercy flows like a river wide. And healing comes from your hands, talking about God. Suffering children are safe in your arms. There is none like you. So think about Moses' mother through the lens of these words of this song. How many believes that your children are safe in God's arms? If you will place them in his hands Amen. and say, God, I can't control this. I cannot mandate this. I cannot fix this. God, I'm going to place the sticks together and sure, I'm going to create what you tell me to create and I'm going to put together this system or this strategy and set up my kids that their destiny is for greatness and I'm going to do everything I can to put the pitch on there and I'm going to make sure and put them in the reeds at the right place and I'm going to do everything you tell me to do, God. But at the end of the day, when I place them in the water, they're in your hands, they're in your care, and it's God's job to take care of. And that comes down to trust. We need to have a strategy of trusting God, no matter what the odds are. 
As a church, we take upon this task of ourselves every year during this season to fill 15,000 eggs for the kids of the schools here in Lewis County. We've done this for the past several years, and this year's I want to up the ante a little bit. We went the first year we did a Easter egg hunt. We had five thousand eggs, and then we went to seventy five hundred, and then we went to ten thousand, and then we went to twelve thousand five hundred, and then we landed at fifteen thousand. And we've done that for a few years now, but this year we're upping the ante a little bit. We're going for twenty thousand. Dusty says, "Whoa! Anybody that's ever been to an egg filling extravaganza, it's a lot of work." We're going to fill 20,000 eggs this year for the kids of Lewis County so that every room and every kid gets an opportunity to go out and have an Easter egg hunt and the Bridge Church makes that possible. Amen? Amen? Every kid, not just kids that come to our church, but every kid in our county is going to be loved on by the people of this church. And we encourage you to give to that. It takes, uh, I don't know, Lisa, how much money? <laughs> how much? Six or seven thousand? Nine hundred dollars. There you go. So that's how much we're going to need to do that. We're going to do it either way. But if you feel like giving a certain part, and maybe you can give twenty, maybe you can give an extra five, maybe you can give an extra two dollars, one dollar, whatever. If we all pull together, we'll have enough money. I assure you, God has always supplied our need. We're going to do twenty thousand eggs. Why? Because we're weaving a basket for the children in our community, Amen. and they're worth it. They're worth our effort of filling those eggs. It'll wear your fingers out, but it's worth it. If you would, please stand. Twenty thousand eggs. What's that? That's nothing to a group of people like us. Some people say it would be impossible. The first year we did that, when we said 5,000, everybody looked and said, oh my goodness, how are we going to do that? There's about 20 people, 25 people in our church at that time. And some crazy pastor standing up front of them said, we're going to fill 5,000 eggs. And they're thinking, There's, we've never did 200 eggs. I believe God does the impossible. Amen. Amen. If a few people will get involved and say, I'm going to weave some baskets. And I'm going to create a culture where future generations will know that there's a God that loves them. And there's a church that loves them. We'll see great things happen. We're destined for greatness, church. Bow your head and close your eyes if you will. Nobody looking around. I want to ask you very simply just to pray this very simple prayer and everybody in this room whether you whisper it in your head or you actually say it out loud everybody here just pray the prayer Holy Spirit what are you saying to me through this message I want you to listen Father God, you are the creator of the heaven and the earth. You spoke things into this existence from nothing. And God, you've destined the people in this room for greatness and you've destined the people hearing this message for greatness. God, I pray today, just as they said, the psalmist said, rend the heavens and come down. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just flood into this place. Flood into the atmosphere of whoever's listening to this message.
And God, as you invade this space around us, God, we pray today that you would come into our heart and you would quicken our mortal bodies just as your word says. God, I pray that the people in this room wouldn't be operating off of their minds, but they would be listening to their heart and that their heartbeat would be your heartbeat. And Lord, that they would begin to think about this leadership model and this leadership principle and allowing you to strategize some things in their life, in their kids' life, in their neighborhood's life. Holy Spirit, move upon us to be a group of weavers. The baskets would be formed. For your kingdom's sake and for future generations. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody, your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Do I have anybody in this room that would raise their hand and say, Pastor, I want to be a basket weaver. Amen. I want to leave this world a better place than I found it. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Hands. Anybody else? I want to be a basket weaver. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? I want my kids to have it better than I had it. And I want God to show me what to do. Let's all pray together. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you Forgive me for my faults, for my failures, for not doing enough for your kingdom. Help me to strategize and help show me how to make baskets for your kingdom's kids. In Jesus' name.